today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. Steelmakers in our city and across the country right now are concerned over the federal government's decision to abandon these trade safeguards that they had put in place some months ago. And uh, there's a great deal of consternation being raised about this, that this may actually open the doors for not a, a lots of illegal dumping from other steelmakers in other parts of the world. Uh, Bob Bertina is the uh, MP for uh, Hamilton East Stony Creek. He is also, of course, the uh, co-chair of the uh, Canadian All-Party Steel Caucus up in Ottawa. And he joins us on the Bill Kelly Show to give some perspective on this. Bob, thank you for the time. Good to have you with us today. Great. And when you have the chief on later on, uh, you should ask him to bring his uh, the rest of his male singing quartet who entertained us at the Chiefs Gala last week. They oh, yeah. are really outstanding. Oh, is that right? <laughs> Yeah. Sorry, I'm sorry I missed that one. I will ask him about that. All I'll right. ask him to sing, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, I, what's, you've heard the concerns from the steel industry on this. Maybe before we get into that, Bob, explain yeah. exactly what the government action was and why. Well, the Canadian International Trade Tribunal uh, evaluated the safeguards that had been put in place uh, some months ago and determined that of the seven that were put on, five of them were really no longer um, useful or complying with uh, the issues at hand, which was the risk to the steelmakers. The steelmakers have another opinion, but the, first of all, the tribunal's uh, decision was that the five of them uh, should come off. So the finance minister had an opportunity to override that, but he chose not to. And so uh, we're, we're taking another tack to try to ensure that the steel making in Canada remains viable and that the jobs of steel workers are protected. So, uh, so another process is taking place. But in fairness to the finance minister, uh, we're accusing Donald Trump uh, of overlooking or ignoring uh, past protocols and just doing whatever he wants. And in a way, this is what the demand was on the finance minister to say, well, never mind what the tribunal says. Uh, and the WTO, well, Trump doesn't really like that anyway. Uh, it won't get to them. But uh, the, the minister felt that uh, the, he should follow the established protocols with regard to the trade tribunal. Secondly, unintended consequences, because there's a whole group of steel consumers who did not want the safeguards, and who might be in a position, these are contractors, the people who buy the rebar and, and build buildings with it. And so they were in a strong position uh, against retaining the safeguards. So that was the dilemma that the government was in. But as you know, Bob, uh, the five uh, areas here where they said it's time to lift these things are all going to have an impact on the Hamilton steel industry. That's ArcelorMittal and, and DeFasco, the only, uh, and of course Stelco. The only two that they've left there that are still going to be under protection, I guess, are pretty much irrelevant to this area. So I, can you understand that there's some legitimate concern here about what this is going to do to the Hamilton operations? Well, of course, and that's why other measures are being looked at. There's a 30-day consultation period uh, getting underway with the Canadian Steel Producers Association and others. They've been given a mandate to examine uh, other um, remedies to achieve what the safeguards uh, had intended to achieve. So uh, that will be a 30-day process. There are also, I understand from both the Canadian Steel Producers and the Finance Department, other options that may be available, which... Uh, we're not talking about right now publicly, but uh, the fact is that the government understands the problem 
and is looking at ways to get around the problem without having to simply override the, the tribunal decision and say, well, uh, thanks for your work, but we're not doing that. So uh, the main thing I would say is the integrity of, of government processes and unintended consequences. I, I, we understand that, and the unintended consequences can be severe at times. We understand. Is there no appeal process, though? Because it sounds from what you're describing as if uh, the government's not really uh, supportive of, of, the, of the tribunal's decision here, but they're going to go along with it anyway. Well, the tribunal did hear from all sides. Uh, they, they didn't make, it was not four guys in a room saying, uh, ah, let's drop the safeguards. They heard testimony. And they evaluated their data, and uh, steel producers would say that some of the data is faulty. They're standing by the information that they have, and so we are where we are. But they, there was plenty of, um, of interchange, exchange uh, between the steel producers and the trade tribunal before they reached their decision. So it's not really a matter of appeal. The, the discussion had already taken place. I think basically the steel producers, rightfully so, were appealing through their members of parliament and through the media uh, to raise public awareness of the whole thing because, you know, most of us uh, not so long ago, uh, not me especially because I'm on the steel caucus, but, you know, the general public would, would not really get a lot of this stuff until the 232 from the United States, all of the things that Trump's imposed on steel in Canada. So now we're fully engaged with it. And, uh, but we have to be careful that we don't make bad decisions because bad decisions have been made in the past. And one of the reasons that the steel workers, for instance, were in a terrible pension deficit situation was a decision made by the NDP government of the province of Ontario in 1992. And that was the decision, too big to fail, let's uh, change the pension rules so that big companies don't have to uh, make all their contributions. Stelco took advantage of that in 1996, and by 2004, their pensions were a billion dollars in deficit. So it seemed like a good idea at the time. That was the outcome, and we're still paying for it. So what are the options at this stage? I think the concern I'm hearing from a lot of the steel workers is, look, there's a void here right now. Uh, and however long it might take you to develop alternative policies, in the meantime, the steel's on its way. As, as one indicated, there's cargo ships of it coming to Canada now. That's my understanding, too, that uh, the oceans are afloat with boatloads of steel. And so uh, one of the uh, considerations, uh, one of the things actually that the Americans were not happy with us about was uh, the lack of uh, monitoring of, of this, this steel coming in because for the Americans it's about transshipment. Something ends up in Canada and gets painted or, you know, washed down with soap and water and then becomes a Canadian product and then it ends up in the United States. So they, they have valid concerns about that, but we've also bolstered the Canadian border services and we're promising to uh, take more action to prevent this steel from coming in. Whether we achieve that or not, well, that remains to be seen. But certainly we're aware of it, we're trying to deal with it, and uh, we'll see what, what happens. But in the meantime, uh, we need to hear from uh, the consultation period over the next 30 days about are there other ways just as or maybe more effective than the safeguards to achieve the same purpose. Have there been any discussions about that? I mean, you had to know that this was going to be a possibility, if not a probability. Well, the safe, uh, the discussions have been taking place uh, as the transition on the safeguards uh, out of the from the tribunal decision. 
uh, were, was becoming obvious that the government had a, a difficult position. And so they had meetings. They, they created uh, the consultation process. So there are chairs and vice chairs and, and mandates and, and a time schedule. So that, that process is virtually underway now. And, and what's the time frame? Because obviously there's a lot of anxious days. people right here. Yeah, 30 days. It's, it's a 30-day process because you can't sit around and wait on things like this. And, and we, uh, we get, everybody gets it, but we're, we're in a difficult uh, situation uh, if we run against the trade tribunal for, uh, for the reasons that I stated. And so uh, the other thing, though, that we, we need to understand is that the steel companies continue to actually make money uh, up until maybe today or yesterday. Uh, but uh, it's it's the most amazing thing, and one thing I'm curious about, and I'm trying to get some information. When I drove down uh, Burlington Street the other day. There's a lot of construction equipment and temporary buildings uh, on the Stelco site, and I'm trying to determine whether they're actually uh, making some investment into upgrades on their facilities because that's been the rumor for some time. Whether it's the blast furnace, steel making, upgrades to uh, the pickle line, or or other uh, processes that they have, it seems there seems to be activity there. So that would be a good sign that uh, whatever the case, the company's still uh, willing to make investments. I don't know that for sure right now. I'm in a committee meeting that I've got to get back into right now, but yeah. when I'm finished, I'll try to follow up on that. We'd, uh, and please check in with us. I would like to get that information. Bob, thanks. I know I'd be pull you out of a meeting. Appreciate the time today. Bill, thanks so much. That's uh, Hamilton uh, East Stony Creek MP Bob Bertina, of course, uh, who co-chairs the uh, All-Party Steel Committee. So is this a big deal for the industry? Is, is uh, Seemingly, the, the government's uh, attitude here seems to be we got this under control. Let's uh, bring Ian Lee from the Spot School of Business at Carleton University on the conversation. Good morning, Ian. How are you doing today? I'm doing just very well, uh, thanks. Bill. Good. The, the, the government seems to say, look, it, no big deal. We, we've got, we'll, we'll develop a plan B. Everything's going to be fine. The industry are wringing their hands right now and saying, in the meantime, uh, there are boatloads of foreign steel that are going to get dumped into Canada right now, and it's going to hurt our industry, probably hurt our relationship with the United States. Uh, who's right here, or is there a middle ground? I think there is a middle ground, and this may shock you, Bill, because I have been very critical of this government on on many of its economic policies, our disastrous relationship with China, our um, degraded relationship with the United States. But this is one time where I do agree with the uh, the Liberal government in Ottawa. Um, I have studied the steel industry extensively for my classes and, and MBA because this comes up frequently. Not only the the steel industry per se, but the larger issue of how do you respond when there's a huge overhang on the market, in plain English, the mark, the steel market around the world, the steel industry, is producing way too much steel uh, for the demand, relative to the demand. And, and so what can governments do? Um, the reason, uh, let's put this into context, by the way, and uh, I'm, not, I'm not trying to be cruel or unkind. I'm very sympathetic to people who are, you know, possibly losing their jobs. But this industry employs about 22,000 Canadians out of 18 million. Uh, this is StatScan data. There's 18 million Canadians employed, public and private sector, majority in the private sector, over 14 million of the 18 million are in the private sector writ large in our country. So the steel industry is relatively tiny. That does not mean that they're less important people, of course not, or that we should exp- uh, have a less uh, you know, compassion towards them. I'm just trying to contextualize it and say, look, everybody, <laughs> this is not <clears throat> the auto industry, and I'm not saying that they deserve special treatment either. I'm just trying to put it into context. We're talking 22,000 jobs that are critically important to those 22,000 employed in that industry, for sure. 
now let's very quickly deal with this issue. Because the steel industry has said, my God, we're going to be subject to dumping and all the manner of horrible things. There are laws now on the books that have been on the books for years and years and years. If any country engages in dumping, which is defined legally, it has a technical meaning, it's not a, a buzzword, it's not a cliche, that it means if you are selling below the cost of your production, that's dumping. And there are countries that have done it. They tend to be non-market countries like China, authoritarian countries where they're very focused on keeping their employment numbers up and it's less important whether you actually make money or not because they're state-owned enterprises. But we do have laws to prevent against dumping. So now I'm getting to the rub of the argument that's critical that is not coming up in this conversation. I don't mean with you, but with the people you're talking to. Our laws have evolved since the Second World War, and I'm sorry for the sort of academic little lecture here, big picture, but just... just no, it's good forward. to get context on this stuff. Yeah. Man. We evolved these laws, and I'm talking the GATT that eventually became the WTO, over 70 years because we wanted a rule-of-law-based set of rules and not capricious, Trumpian-type people who just get up one day and say, oh, I'm going to put tariffs on willy-nilly arbitrarily. So we evolved the WTO. We evolved an elaborate set of rules. And we even allow tariffs and interference under certain conditions. And that is precisely dumping, where the other side is cheating. And then that requires a, an investigation by a trade tribunal, such as we have in Ottawa and they have in Washington and they have in Europe, where they look at enormous amounts of data and facts and figures. As you know, because it was reported in the paper in Hamilton, the uh, CITT, uh, the Canadian Tribunal, Trade Tribunal, that investigates these things, found that only two of the seven steel markets need any kind of special protection. In other words, let me decode that. They were saying, this is my interpretation, but I think it's reasonable, that there is not dumping as of this moment in five of the seven steel markets. There is aggressive competition but we have to distinguish between legitimate competition, head-to-head -head competition, where you're not dumping, selling below the cost of your production. You're just maybe, maybe you invested in the latest technology, so your steel is cheaper uh, or higher quality than the other guy because you've been investing in your capital equipment, for example. That's considered legitimate competition. And so you can, I think you can see where I'm going, and this is not to at all pour scorn on the workers there. The, the companies have to make, and I've been teaching this stuff for 35 years, it's called corporate and business strategy. They must adopt strategies to respond to the competition. If the competition is making better steel or cheaper steel, let's leave China out of this because China cheats. We all know that. How do we know that? Because the European Trade Tribunal and the U.S. Trade Tribunal determined they were cheating. Let's leave them out. If there are other countries that are exporting their steel to us and they're beating us, meaning they're selling their steel over our steel, maybe that's a wake-up call for the steel companies to uh, sharpen their pencils and say, you know what, we've got to become more competitive. And because the CITT, the Trade Tribunal, ruled that there wasn't, essentially wasn't cheating going on in 507 steel markets, this should serve as a wake-up call. Now, I'm not talking to the workers. I'm talking to the CEO. Mm -hmm. I'm talking to the CFO. I'm talking to the, if they have a chief technology officer. Because what I'm trying to say is, if you think you're going to save your company 
by uh, protectionism, it's not going to work in this competitive world where we do have a WTO and we do have trade agreements. And if people say, what about Trump? I have two short answers. Trump is not going to be president forever. He's going to leave office shortly in 2020 or at the very, very latest 2024. And in the long scheme of history and competitiveness, that's just a, 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 you know, just a moment in time. They've got to develop long-term strategies to make their companies stronger and more competitive, and that typically in this industry means investing in state-of-the-art technologies. I'm not blaming the workers. I'm blaming the CEOs for not for possibly lagging and not being as competitive as, say, the German steelmakers or maybe the American steelmakers or some other companies. They've got to invest in cutting-edge technology to retain their competitive advantage. We're going to have to leave it there for now. We're just about out of time for this part of it. Anyway, this is our basic story. It will not go away anytime soon. Ian, thanks as always. Really appreciate your perspective on this. Thanks very much, Bill. Ian Lee from the Sports School of Business. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.